0: Good to see everybody. Lots of uh, faces that are a little bit new to me, and then some who are just uh, quite regular. If you are, like, this is your first time, so don't be shy. First timers, come on, don't, yep, okay, good. Good to have you guys. Um, a moment ago, Lisa mentioned Will Hoskin, you know, he just came back from over in Nepal. And Will is a kid who became a believer here through Young Life, and so we're thrilled about that, and then he's going to help, you know, these people with the engineering skill, you know, he brought us a, he's a pretty shy guy, but he brought us this uh, scarf from over there, and what's really sweet is he, he had heard in a message a long time ago that my wife likes rocks that are shaped like hearts, and so he brought her one from over there, but the cool thing is we were able as a church to help sponsor that trip, so you all were all involved in that, so thank you. Another thing, I just want to highlight a couple of people in our church while I'm standing up here. Um, Yari Kirkland. I don't know if you know Yari. Some of you, she's an elite athlete that goes here. Um, she's been in a thing called the Patagonian Expedition Race. I think that's what it's called. In Patagonia and Chile for the last like 10 days. And her, it's an international competition. Her team just won that. Um, so you can look it up on Facebook. That's probably the easiest place, Patagonian Expedition Race. See your face there. and It's pretty cool. She's something else. Um, and uh, part of our body, and, and also kind of a shy one, so you, you would never probably know who she was. But anyway, there's some neat stuff going on around here. Uh, so we're in the series on Galatians. We're in the second half. And I think, you know, back in when I first started talking about this, we have done two sessions, on one in the fall and now one in the spring. And there's this idea of Paul holding up the gospel so we can see it from all these different directions, so we really understand it. And he's writing to people who are believers, who've already come to know Christ, And then he's writing to people who who don't know. And so all of this information is, though sometimes very deep and complicated, is accessible and in the end really simple. But it's something we have to take a close look at. And so Paul wants to hold it up and show it to us from a bunch of different directions. And one of the... I just really appreciated Mark uh, Ewing last week when he spoke. This one illustration of the fact that we don't need to continue doing work in order to be approved by God. We don't need to help him out anymore. And, the, and the one he, the, what he said was, he's talking about some of our friends here that are building their house. And some volunteers had come in to put sheetrock up, and there was a whole bunch of them. And he said, it would be really strange if after they were in their house, you know, the, the texture is already done, everything, they're moved, they have the keys, everything's finished, house is paid for, everything. If they brought a crew back in and started hammering up sheetrock on the walls... You know, putting an extra layer of siding on the outside and some extra doors on. So once they're in the house, we all understand that it's a a done thing. They live there. And I just love the way that's in it because what we're doing when we're trying to help out the gospel, when we're trying to add to it by doing things to be approved by God, then what we're doing is just tacking stuff on that doesn't make any sense. And we're going to talk about that today in a bit of a different light. We're in Galatians 5 now, and Galatians really starts to heat up. You know, we're going to see the fruit of the Spirit in a couple of weeks, and that's pretty neat stuff for people who are trying to follow Christ and, and seeing what it means to know Him. But I want to, the main thing that I want to say to you today comes from verse 1 in chapter 5. It says, for freedom Christ has set us free, so Stand firm. And don't, be, and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. So what does it mean to stand firm? What does that mean? That's what we're going to examine today. And I have to say, as I was going back over my notes and thinking through this, and what's interesting is in a church like this, you kind of know everybody, you know, except for those first-timers, right? I don't know you, but... We have these friendships, and I, I I know where we are. I have this sense of, you know, where I am spiritually, and always struggling, and, and I'm not the only one in here with that. And the stuff in this passage um, is, at one time, very, at one, one, one sense, very simple, and the other sense, it's very deep stuff. So I want to ask you just to sort of, to for 15 or 20 minutes here, you know, Take another sip of coffee or whatever it takes. But three things about standing firm. Three things. One of them, and Paul says it right there, he says, don't return to slavery. And we'll talk about what that means. If you're not a Christian and I say, don't return to slavery, I'm sure you're thinking, okay. uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, and you should be thinking that. So we'll we'll unfold that just a little bit. But uh, the second thing is to enjoy our relationship with God. The second is to enjoy our relationship with God. And the third is to genuinely love others. To stand firm, those are three things that Paul brings out that we would do. We won't return to slavery. We'll avoid that. We'll enjoy our relationship with God and we'll genuinely love other people. So that's how we're going to unfold this. So let's look at the passage, and it's 15 or 14 verses, so bear with me while I read it. And also I want to say this is Pauline. This is Paul writing. And Paul is one, he's the master of the diversion. In writing, like he wouldn't get good grades in English class. He's like, oh, you know, all, so just some of the stuff you're gonna go, huh? Okay, I, I don't, we're gonna put it together at the end. Okay, so here we go. In five, one, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not be and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify that every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated. Sorry, I probably should have my glasses on, but I don't. (laughs) Testify again that every man who accepts circumcision, he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one word, this one saying, you will love your neighbor as yourself. All right. Now, clearly, Paul goes all over the place, doesn't he? And he talks about things that, you know, we don't often talk about in big public groups of 150 people. He just does. This is Paul, right? He just says things. And that's one of those cool things about that guy. He's, just, he's, he's one of those people who would be in your face and tell you the truth no matter what. And that's what he's doing here. But what does it mean to stand firm and how do we see it unfold in this? Uh, the first thing he says is don't go back to slavery. So what does that mean? And he's drawing on an image that those people would have understood really, really well. This image... Because they had slaves in those days. You would you could, in your family, have a slave that was a servant in your household. And at some point you could actually bring that person into your family legally by their decision and yours, and they would be one of your sons. So that could be done. And everyone understood that idea. And once that was done, it wasn't undone. And there's other themes in the scripture about adoption, being brought into the family of God, where it's this permanent thing that's happening. And so when Paul talks about... This idea of not going back to slavery. What he means is, you've been brought into the family of God. You're in that house. The house is yours. You're safe. You're secure in that place. You've been adopted. But you are saying, "I want to go back to being a slave. I don't want the inheritance anymore. I want to live out somewhere. This is not what I want." So that's what he means by being a slave. It's 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 figurative, obviously, for us. But it has a, a in the literal sense, it's figurative. But he's he's talking about a, a spiritual slavery that we move into. Which means that we are no longer in this relation. It makes it as if we're no longer in a relationship with God, but outside of it, and we put ourselves there. Yet we're adopted. So, we, what he wants to do is encourage us to be within the household, to be, to live as if we're adopted, and not move into that space of thinking like we're a slave. Uh, you know, before we become believers. We look at this this thing that is Christianity, and we say, "Okay, I think this makes sense, or maybe it doesn't." And yes, that makes sense. And that, you know, there's this process that we go to go through, where we begin to see that this relationship with God is possible. There's something out there. There's some hole in us that needs to be filled by something bigger than anything we can fill it with. And so we begin to look for that thing. And we, and for all of us who are believers, we've come to that point where we said, "Yes, I understand that." And We've moved into that relationship. But then what happens is all of us continue to be human. And so we continue to do things that we think disqualify us from being in that relationship. Could be things that we think, do, look at, feel, can't help, where we invest our time, money. It doesn't matter. We find a way to disqualify ourselves or move ourselves outside of the house. It's, it's this tension that we live in as human beings because we say, uh, yes, I want relationship. I want relationship that doesn't have any strings attached. I want to just be loved and cared for for who I am. At the same time, we're so driven to perform that we, there's this tension we're bumping in that we're wrestling with the whole time. And so we real quickly move out of relationship and into this performance thing, and we do it with God. But once we've crossed over that threshold we need to understand, of belief, we need to understand that we're then safe in this space of um, adoption as a son of God. We're in there. We're safe in there. I I think, you know, if you, you to continue that metaphor of the house, you know, you have your nice house, and it's warm, and it's heated, and it's freezing cold, and it's one of those windy nights, you know, maybe we have from time to time, and you go and take some sticks, and, some grass that you can scrape up and some mud and you pack some snow on your, on the sticks on the side of the house and you go and you stay out there even though you have the key and you can go inside, right? Now I realize I'm describing the home of one of my friends who's in here right now who lives in, the, in a snow cave. Um, <laughs> it's like sticks and grass and a tarp and, a, and about three feet of snow. Um, but that's because he doesn't have another home, okay? So, right, Nate? Um, It's almost like that. It's like we're setting this thing up outside that we could live inside. And this is what Paul's saying. You're doing this. You're hearing this message that you need to do these things in order to be right with God. But that's just not true. You're already a member of the household. See, these people were convinced, especially the men, that they had to do something in order to be approved by God. And they were hearing this from these folks. They, They were grown men, and they were hearing that they needed to be circumcised. Now, I don't think that was going to be pleasant. You know, in the first century, probably not pleasant. But that means they were serious, right? They really wanted to please God. It wasn't because they wanted to do the wrong thing, right? You can be serious and be wrong. You can be serious and be wrong. And that's why we're continually pointing back to the Scripture. Not what I think, not my collection of ideas about faith or who God is or anything like that. We can all do that, but what we need to go is say, this is what the Bible says about a relationship with God. And this is what Paul's telling them. He, he gets really angry about it, and he spends a big chunk of that passage saying, do not believe that anything you do can help you at all. You cannot make it better. Don't believe it. And then he goes on and he says, I wish that the people that were telling you that would go all the way with the knife. I think you mentioned that last week. I mean this is I mean he is like really throwing it out there. He is you know, you just don't say stuff like that to people, you know, in public or in a letter for Jesus. <laughs> right? But Paul does. Uh he's angry about it. And and when I don't have that kind of fiery preaching style, but I think Paul did, and I think he was saying, "You've got to understand this. Do not exclude yourself. Don't put yourself back in slavery." We need to get our truth from the Word of God and stick to that. Um, some of you, how many, how many Texans or original Texans do we have in here? Yes, y'all. Yeah, all right. You also know that this part of Colorado was originally part of Texas. So, if you live here, you are a Texan. I'm just saying, it's part, it's part of your heritage, so just get over it. <clears throat> That's the rudest thing I'm going to say to you today. There's a bike race there called the Hotter in Hell 100. It's in Wichita Falls, and I've done it a few times. But the last time I did it didn't go so well. And uh, I was racing and, and loving that whole scene. And the, race, the group of people that are racing the Hotter in Hell leave earlier than the big group that leaves, you know, and the 10,000 people go out. So they let us go in this, in this race um, in waves based on your ability and your category. And so it's still dark when my category rolls out. And there's maybe 150 people in my in my group, so we're moving. We're we're going out and it's 100 miles back in loop all around north of, of that city if you're familiar with it, and you come back around, uh, basically from the east, southeast, and, and back up into town. And uh, so this year, we're we're racing, and we've been out for about 30 uh, 30 miles or so. The sun's you know clearly up by now, and it's super hot, and our group is uh, beginning to dwindle as these races tend to do. People fall off the back and a few people get off the front. And so I'm in a, a fairly decent sized group and we're just motoring along, just pressing as hard as we can. And it occurs to us that something isn't right. You know, and we've done this race before and we're pretty familiar with the kind of idea of how it should go. So, and then further and further and the group begins to, c- continues to shatter. And pretty soon there's about six or seven people in my group and we're like, something is, we haven't seen a marker for the race in a long time. <laughs> and we come to a T in the road where there would clearly be a marker and there's nothing. We're like, oh man. So we know that we've been going kind of north and east, so we're going to cut back to the right. We take it. And somewhere in there we run into some people and then an official car comes back up the road and says, hey, somebody took down some of the signs and laid them down, and you guys went right by, and you're 50 miles out of the way, okay? Because we don't know where we are. It's Wichita Falls. Who lives there? <laughs> no offense, Scott. Where are you, Scott Hamilton? Are you all here? So um, uh, we then uh, just, to ra- we, it turns out they, they brought us to this little town out there. I don't even know where, and they had this huge truck there, and they brought, and there's 100 bikes, We stacked up in that thing, and all these cars came and took us all back to Wichita Falls. It was a complete failure. But here's the deal. It was our responsibility not to miss the turn. When you're the racer, you have to know where the turn is. The signs are there just to be helpful and to be nice. And even though the motorcycles went with us, which I would blame them, um, (laughs) we were supposed to know that at this county road, we turned right and headed back towards Wichita Falls. See, we, because we didn't know where we were supposed to go and someone got in there and, and distracted us, right? And maliciously in that sense, this wasn't malicious, but distracted us. We took off in the whole wrong direction, didn't finish the race, all of us were disqualified. So there's like 20 people who finished because they had read what they call the race Bible. This is, this is what Paul is saying. We need to know the truth, about who we are in Christ so that when someone distracts us, when something in life comes our way, on purpose or not, that we are not totally off in the wrong direction. The beauty of it is that even if we believe we're in the wrong place, even we are in the wrong place, because of belief, because we're in the family, we, we're still returned. But we've wasted a whole lot of time. And, and Paul says, you guys are going to waste a whole lot of time focusing on doing things. So, Slavery is this idea that I have to be in this performance, a, a, a boss and, and employee relationship with God instead of a familial relationship with God. So that's that idea of, of moving out, of being careful not to move into slavery. Second thing about standing firm, it simply means to enjoy your relationship with God. That is a very possible thing to do, and Paul talks a little bit about it. Um, I'm going to give you a couple of different illustrations, I think, to, to hopefully help with that. But look at verse 7. He says, you are running well. Your race was going well. Who hindered you? Who? In some versions it says, who cut in, who blocked you off, and kept you from obeying the truth? Who kept you from staying on course and knowing what you know? Paul always uses these, or often uses these race or sports analogies. I got a feeling he would have been like a sports center guy, I'm pretty sure, and get really angry at games that he was watching, and things like that. Uh, but let me give you a couple of ideas of of being uh, what he's trying to communicate about enjoying our relationship. If you're an athlete, then you know this spot when you're doing whatever you're doing in your sport or the thing that you enjoy, and you feel. This moment where you're like, this is working, this feels good. I'm in the spot, this is the zone Paul says, You're in the zone. what happened? if you're not an athlete, you know that whatever is that thing that God has given you that you do well and enjoy when you're in that space where it's happening like this is right, there is that place in our relationship with God when we're when we're there with him and not trying to be there by what we do by our act, by our actions approving us uh, he says, you know don't, you've been hindered. You're, 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 you've just been distracted from knowing that and, and sticking with what it is that you were made so well to do. You know, I, I know I come home to Claire every now and then and I'll have had a coffee with somebody or been out and done something with somebody. And I'll say, man, I like being with that guy. And she knows why I'm going to say what the reason is going to be. The reason is that I don't have to, to be anything special. I just can be myself. They accept me for who I am. I accept them, they can say stuff to me that's true, and I can take it we have there i don't have to do things in order to meet expectations. How many of y'all love relationships where there are expectations? You just want to jump in there just give me more of those and and that's the beauty of this idea of, of relationship that's the thing that is possible with God when we're not in a perform do you see what I'm saying there's this idea of I've got to do these things. I've got to be, or I disqualify myself. I'm not, but we're in that place and knowing it changes our lives. You guys are going to say, man, you've talked about the gospel like 13 weeks in a row because we've got to know it. We have to know that that's the kind of place that God has for us. He designed relationships and that's what this is like. That's why I love being with guys who totally accept me. Just I don't have to know anything or do anything or be anything. Just myself which isn't much. <laughs> so it's easy to be with those kind of people. We enjoy that. And then a few verses before, we, we saw where God sends his spirit in such a way that it's, it's as if we were a little child running to our father going, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Right? Such, the spirit comes to us in such a way that, that there is a, a feeling of relationship that is so great that it's almost like we're a child running. Not almost. It is like we're a child running to our daddy and we just can't wait to get there. That's the kind of relationship, that kind of intimacy, the kind of place where we have we that God gives us when we're in relationship with him. When we're standing firm and not going back into slavery, we have those are the senses of relationship that we should experience. We should enjoy that relationship. So, thirdly, standing firm means genuinely loving other people. So, these passages are pretty powerful, I think. Verse 13 You are called to freedom, brothers. Don't use your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one phrase, this one saying or word You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All right. Two things about what I'm fixing to say. One is I have a hobby horse in here, and I'm going to try to avoid getting on it. So forgive me if I do. But but the second thing is, this is sort of, I think, theologically deep water, just for a moment. At least it is for me. Paul says there's only one law, and that law is one that we got way back in the Hebrew Scripture and Jesus repeated in the New Testament in in his speaking. Love your neighbor as yourself, okay? That's the law. These other people are coming in and saying there's a different law, right? The law of doing things. Love your neighbor as yourself is something that... Let me... I think I wrote up. This law is not to accomplish favor. It is the result of relationship. It's the result of what Jesus did, okay? So because I know Jesus... The law, the the thing that naturally, okay, think about this, the thing that naturally follows is that I will love others as myself and serve. I don't love and serve in order to get check boxes to please God. I do it because I know Him, and we've got this all mixed up. Because we're living with that tension of, of I've got to do, I've got to perform, I've got. we just can't help it. But the thing we want more than anything is to be in that relationship. That's not what, that's not what this is about. That um, trying to accomplish things. And, and here's the here's the thing. There's a, a verse, uh, verse eleven. We'll read it, where it says something about the cross being an offense. And this is where Bible study matters. Look at eleven with me. But if you brothers still preach circum. If I, sorry, if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, that, that's confusing because Paul's not preaching that, is he? He's not saying that. So why does he say, but if I still say it? We have to ask that question. That's why the passage is complicated. If I, what he's saying is that they, these other teachers, since Paul's absent, are saying, hey, this Jewish leader, Paul, right, Jew of Jews, He wants you to be circumcised too. He wants you to do these things to have approval. So he says, but if I still preach circumcision, in other words, if they say that I'm preaching circumcision, well, why am I being persecuted? Why is this so hard? In other words, why do I feel so much about this? Okay, in that case, in in the case of circumcision, like we're supposed to follow certain rules to be acceptable to God, well then the offense of the cross has been removed. Okay, think about this. A lot of people read this and will say, well, the cross of Jesus is supposed to be offensive to people. You've heard that said for sure. There is a sense in which The message that there is a God who is just and loving at the same time and is over you and really owns you, regardless of what you think, he owns your destiny. Well, that can be offensive. But, my friends, the gospel is not offensive. The gospel is good news. What he is saying is that the cross of Christ is offensive to the people who want to add to it. Okay, just think with me. Why would he even say this if that's not what he's talking about? The cross is offensive because it means that it's all been done. The cross is the place where it all got taken care of. Your sins are wiped away and all we have to do is believe, but instead we want to add to that. Do you see the, the difference here? Are you following? I, this took me a long time to wrestle through. So I think it's, it's a hard concept. Um, this was offensive to what they call the Judaizers, the people who wanted these, uh, these Christians to do certain things. That's who this offended. Can you imagine like going up to Jesus on the cross and saying, Hey, let me help you out. What can I do? You know, you're doing some great stuff for me, but what, what can I add? Would you do that? Would I? You're being pretty quiet. So I'm assuming, I'm thinking that the answer is I wouldn't do that. Okay. No, we wouldn't offer to help him because we know that he is the one doing all of the work. See, here's the thing. Christians have been too focused on acts that lead to relationship over the millennia and they have blocked the view of Christ for others. Here comes my hobby horse. And this is profoundly unloving. Because we want to perform so bad, we have denominations We add rules. We tell ourselves certain things. We, well, you know, I don't have to make the list. This has a lot to do with our church and our community. We have a very, and if you're a guest with us, you as well. In this town, the church has the potential to move the needle on how people see Jesus. In a city of a million or two million, it's hard to move the needle it can be done in this town. And it's exciting to be a part, in a place where that can actually happen. So this, uh, this speaker I've mentioned a couple of times, J.D. Greer, that I like, he, he, uh, he brought something up that I really appreciate about this idea. He says, you remember when Jesus goes to the temple and he, and he disrupts the guys who are selling in the courts, Right? Like it's the maddest Jesus ever gets. He's turning the tables over. He's got like a whip or something. He's like chasing these people out. This is anger. He he is angry because they're selling things in the court. And you know what they were selling was they were selling the things that help people get right with God. Okay, now that was part of their law. That was what they were under until Jesus made that. Uh, took away that. He, He was the fulfillment of all of those things that they were buying and selling. But there's another reason that Jesus is angry in that space because you know where they were selling these things? They were in the court of the Gentiles. And the court of the Gentiles was the place where people who didn't believe, who didn't know who God was, could come and take a look at him and see who he was. But they had gotten in that space and put all their stuff in there that was making them right with God. Think about that for a second. The church, the church, and Christians, including me, we are so guilty of preventing the view of, non- of people who are just interested of seeing who he is. It's, just, it's what we've done. It's what we've inherited. You may be an awesome Christian and you never do that, but we've inherited it, so we have to deal with it. So what the message that is sent to our community and to our friends is that you have to do certain stuff. That's why people don't want to come in this building. Why would they not want to come in this building? It's beautiful. Why would they not want to come with their friends? Because they think there's some threshold of achievement that they have to get over. They're not good enough or they're not going to be welcome. How could they not be welcome? Because there's something they're being judged for, which means there's a standard. And that's not what the gospel is about. They, so regardless of what we did or didn't do, that's the message that's in the community, right? That's the message that's in the world. And that's because, it's not because of what they did, it's because of what we did. So what I want to say is this cannot be the message of believers at be Joyful. It cannot, picture this, picture if instead we were people who were pushing out all those who are selling and trying to be, including ourselves, taking ourselves out of the picture and pulling back those people, holding hands, block, blocking those, those who would make rules to see Jesus and to know him and making a way for people to get in to where they can. That's, that's what the church is for. We are, we are to fulfill what Jesus was doing, came to earth, put on flesh so that they could know God. That includes us. And is anybody in here Jewish by heritage? Okay, the Gentile court was for you, right? And what we need to do, I believe, as Christians in this town is hold back the scrum of people and whatever it is that keeps, that, that says it's a certain way and a certain thing and open the way for people to see who he is. See, the gospel is good news. It can offend because people don't want to hear it. But it cannot be offensive because of you and me. Okay? It doesn't give us permission to be offensive. Let's let God be the offense, not us. So, when we love others, we are following the law that naturally occurs when we are Invest in a relationship with Christ. And what we will do is, is hold wide open the way to see Jesus. Because people will see him in you and me. So let me, let me wrap this up. Um, Paul's writing this because people who are believers tend to live like slaves. Right? So when we say, hey, I'd love to be in a first century church, I think it would be awesome to be there. Well, the first century church is just like you and me, except for they were actually getting out the knife to do the circumcision. Okay? Christians too often live like they're slaves and not inside the house, not where they can invite people in to see who Jesus is. And so that's why he's writing this. That's the thing we need to hear. So I'll close with this thing that happened this week. I was in my usual coffee shop haunt, and it was early... Hardly anybody was there, maybe four or five people up with me. And there's some steps that go down kind of behind where I often sit. And I could hear this conversation of two employees at the shop coming, you know, up. So everyone in there could hear it, okay? And they're talking, and one of them, a guy, is saying, Oh, you wouldn't believe it. I just have gotten turned on to this music that's so spiritual and so awesome. It's just taking me to God. I'm just so connected to, the, to nature and all, and, you know, these things that are really important to him. That's why he's here right? He's having this very spiritual, personal conversation with this girl. And she's like, oh, that is so awesome. I can almost hear her like, grabbing his shoulders. Who is it? Let me write that down. I want to get that. You know, and so I'm hearing this come up and I'm thinking no one in this room has any problem with that, right? If you heard that conversation, you know, wherever, you'd be like, oh yeah, totally normal, right? You would. And I thought, well, what if he was saying, you're not going to believe it. I just went to the most incredible new place with Jesus Christ. And I read this passage and it totally changed how I understood that I'm in a relationship with Jesus and I don't have to earn it. I don't have to be good enough. What what if he was telling her that? Number one, I don't know what her response would be. And if everyone up there where I was heard it, I don't know what they would think. They'd be like, oh, what an idiot, right? You would be wondering... If you were looking around the room, what are these people, because you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you're wondering, what are these people thinking? That's that's what we do. Why? Why is it that some 20-year-old kid can't say I had the most incredible experience with Jesus and everybody not go, oh, okay, whatever. I'm not going to write that verse down. Because Christians have gotten in the way of people knowing who Jesus is. There's no other reason. God's screaming out his glory. Lisa prayed a beautiful prayer of theology for us just a moment ago. The trees proclaim, the mountains and the rocks, they point to God. The rivers, the life, everything points to God. He is calling out, but still people will reject it. It's because I have gotten in the way. Our heritage has gotten in the way. We have a beautiful opportunity to to make a difference in that. But... If we slide into the idea that we, we want to be more like slaves than sons and daughters, then we are automatically making it more difficult for people to see Jesus. So enjoy your relationship with God. I'll just leave it with that and see what happens. I'm going to pray. We're going to have 10 minutes. If you can stay, we'd love to have you here. Guess or not, hear what's going on at this church and where we're going. A lot of big stuff. God, thank you for uh, this morning, chance to lift you up in the words that we sing and in the gifts that we give. Um, Thank you for each and every person who's here. Lord, when we prayed earlier and shared our requests, there were just a few. And I think uh, what that reveals is that there is a ton more going on in the hearts and minds um, and lives of the people in this room. But it feels too big and too scary and too hurtful to bring it up. So I just pray that as... um, as we are uh, able to be within your home and to be in relationship with you, God, that you would carry those burdens for us, that we would put them uh, on you, and we know that you will willingly take because you love us enough. Lord, let us be those who would um, introduce people to you by the first step is is enjoying and, and relishing the relationship we have with you, the potential for that. So we lift it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Y'all have a wonderful afternoon.